If you serve in the usher ministry or in the children's ministry or wherever and you have that heart that you're ministering to the Lord instead of for the Lord, you're kind of just like, man, I'm just doing it to do it because they need help. I'm just doing it because I feel obligated. Don't do that. Serve with a happy, joyful heart because you feel called to that. Or maybe you just, you're one of those people that I, man, wherever you want to plug me in, I feel called to do that. Just plug me in wherever. Well, that's cool too. Then you're ministering to the Lord because there is a difference. motivates us to be involved in ministry? Are we trying to earn the favor and blessings of God? Do we just enjoy the feeling of being admired and praised by those who we minister to and around? There can be many different motivations behind our ministry, but there is only one right reason to minister. As Pastor Mark reminds us in today's message, it doesn't matter how many good things we do, how many people we share the gospel with. It all comes down to the heart behind it. God desires joyful service that is all for Him. Not for the feelings we get, but simply to bring glory to our Father in Heaven. Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and join Pastor Mark with today's edition of Come Alive. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 11, it says, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered, the child being Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when Any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook, or a fork in some of your translations, in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they didn't Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, sacrifice, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord, meaning Samuel. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons, two daughters. And meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel. And now they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another... 
God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Let's stop right there. Well, I'll go to 26. And then the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. When we read this, if you remember from last week, we, we looked at Hannah's prayer. Hannah had a prayer. And if you remember from weeks before, she was barren and said the Lord had made her barren. And so God has control over that, over, over childbirth, whether a woman's going to have a baby or not have a baby. And so as a Christian, you know, we give everything to the Lord, and that's important for us to understand that. And so sometimes, you know, when we look at this, and we're going to break down her prayer a little bit this morning in chapter 2, but we sometimes need to realize as Christians, maybe we do, that we expect, and it's just wise that we would have this thought, that we should expect sometimes opposition from society at large. But what can we do when these creeping deaths seeps inside of the church? And when, when corruption comes into the church and starts to work its way and destroy the different things, especially when her human leaders are indifferent in faith and an unholy in life. And I think a lot of times when you really think about this is that's what kind of turns a lot of people off to Christianity is because they look and, and they hear one thing, but they see something completely different, something that they're just, it doesn't make sense. Even the unbeliever inside of him knows that something is wrong with the picture, and we call it hypocrite. Hypocrite, you know, we become hypocrites. And all of us are. All of us, even as Christians, are hypocrites. I mean, how many of you have said you're going to do one thing and you don't do it? That would make you a hypocrite. Whether it be, you know, I'm going to show up on time to this or that or the other thing, or this is what I plan to do. I mean, you kind of are even hypocritical with your own life in a New Year's resolution. I plan to do this, and we don't do it, and we become these hypocrites. So right now in this we see that it's a very bleak time when the light of the world is, is part of the darkness, the church, you know, the tabernacle, God's people. You know, they're supposed to be the light of the world, and, and they're part of the darkness. And so the regime of Hophni and Phinehas, um, if you guys are looking again, if somebody's having children, here's two more biblical names that you can have, Hophni and Phinehas. Kind of weird, but I wouldn't name my kids that. Maybe a dog, if you're looking for a dog name, Hophni and Phinehas was such a time, and yet I want us to notice, and it's kind of a dark time, and what I want us to notice is that even then, God had not abandoned his people when they were turning away. When the people were turning away, even God didn't abandon his people, and so he remained steady. It doesn't matter what takes place in our lives you know, we can, we can be angry at God, and, and, and one of the things that sometimes people tell me, well, I'm really mad at God. It's, okay, cool, be mad at God, just don't stop talking to God. But even if we did turn away, God is always there. He's always ready and quick to forgive and accept us back. And so God is there both in judgment. And so the, these guys abandon, you know, their faith, so to speak. They grow up in the church, and, and look what happens. So God's there both in judgment and, and in grace, um, in this chapter, and when judgment began, is, and is beginning right now in the house of God. So looking at Hannah's prayer, let's turn back a little bit and look at verse 3, uh, just to get us some context of this. In verse 3, it says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So here um, in her prayer, she alludes to the arrogant in verse 3. And in verse 4, we're not going to read it, but we'll look. She, 
she uh, uh, alludes to the mighty in verse 4. And in verse 9, take a look at that. She's alluding to the wicked, to the evil people. And in verse uh, 10, those who contend with God, those who kind of wrestle, who do things against God, uh, who claim to be God's enemy. And here they are. You, You might think it would be the Philistines or the Canaanites, but instead it's the priests of Israel, the, the, the men of God, so to speak. Look at verse 11 with me again. It says, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child, meaning Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And so here we got Samuel as a young kid ministering. Ministering is a, is a word. It means serving. Um, it also, the, the root word to that is a slave. Uh, somebody that just can't say no. So in him is built, in him is a, is a desire to want to minister, to want to love the Lord so much passionately that he cannot say no to God. So he ministers at a very young age. And so um, Samuel ministers to the Lord. Look at, notice with me, ministered to the Lord. It's different. Some of us say, well, I minister for the Lord. You know, and it's, there's a difference here. We're going to pick this apart and you might say, well, do you, you mean there is a, a difference? Yes, there is. Because in the next verse, you've got a couple of guys who minister for the Lord. Look at verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. They're priests in the temple. They do certain actions and duties that, that they are called to do. And they're ministering for the Lord. You work for a company. And so working to a company requires a little bit more loyalty. Some people are just there. It's like the difference between the guy who's just there to collect a paycheck. And if you're a Christian and you work for somebody and you're just there to grab the money, let me say this. You're probably not worth that much to that employer. But if you're looking out for that employer's best interest, doing a little more than what's required, then you're probably working to that employer, to that company, to the betterment of it. And so hopefully as Christians, claiming to be Christians in the workplace, we're not there just to grab a check, although that's important, but it's not just for that purpose only. Because, I mean, what kind of loyalty? I mean, what if some guy, and you look at it in a relationship, you know, they're, they're there, they give you benefits, and that's all I'm there for. You're probably not the most worthwhile employee. Do your best. And so ministry in all of our lives as Christians It's supposed to be to the Lord, not for the Lord, but to the Lord. So whatever I do, I do to the Lord. Turn to Matthew 25, 11 with me. That's over in the New Testament. Flip those pages to the left, and you'll come to the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. We're going to look at chapter 25. We're going to look at one verse, chapter uh, verse 11. It says, afterward, other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, surely I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour in which I'm coming. So here in verse 12, we see that the Lord says, I do not know you in this one. And then also, if you look at um, Matthew 7.25, or I'm sorry, 7.21, and write this down if you're taking notes. So if you, if you serve in the usher ministry or in the children's ministry or wherever, and you have that heart that you're ministering to the Lord instead of for the Lord. You're kind of just like, man, I'm just doing it to do it because they need help. I'm just doing it because I feel obligated. Don't, don't do that. Serve with a happy, joyful heart because you feel called to that. 
Or maybe you just, you're one of those people that, I, man, wherever you want to plug me in, I feel called to do that. Just plug me in wherever. Well, that's cool too. Then you're ministering to the Lord because there is a difference. And so again, in Matthew 7, 21, what's it say there? And you look at it closely and we're going to break that down a little bit. Let me get there for you. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, verse 22, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name or cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And verse 23 says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, what that's saying is it'd be the equivalent of like, God, didn't I serve in the children's ministry at Calvary Katy and like these other 20 churches that I'd gone to throughout my life? Didn't I help feed the homeless? Didn't I clothe homeless people and, and give them clothing? Didn't I help do this? Didn't I give money to this organization and that organization? Didn't I serve my brother and my sister in the Lord? And he's going to say, man, that's all great, but I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Because those were the type of people who minister for the Lord, not to the Lord. All that we do, we do to the Lord. Everything that we do, we do to the Lord. Jesus tells us that. He tells us that whatever you do to the least of these, you do to who? To me, to him, referring to himself. And so when we do those things, are we doing it just because we want to be seen or we want to feel holy? Take care of the holy things. What, why do we do them? Do we know why we do them? And so it's important, you know, and again, this is a study in contrast. We're going to see these guys compared to the real guy, Samuel. And see, they, they were busy doing stuff, Hophni and Phinehas, doing stuff for the Lord. Here's my job. Here's my credentials. Here we have a couple of corrupt kids, a couple of pastor's kids. And what happens is they've gotten so familiar with the things of the church, the things of the tabernacle. They've seen their dad doing it day in and day out, and it just became routine. And sometimes that happens, unfortunately, with not just pastor's kids, but anybody's kids who serve along. We talked about it in the men's, uh, in my leadership meeting this morning, is that, hey, are our kids getting so familiar with the things that maybe they need a little bit of a break? Maybe they need a lesson from mom and dad. Maybe they need to spend some time just worshiping with mom and dad and really learning what that is and making sure we, we know and understand where their little hearts are. I mean, how much does a six-year-old and a four-year-old know or a three-year-old and a seven-year-old? Well, well, different kids know different things. And so what happens is they've gotten so familiar with the things of the temple and what their dad does, and when it comes to the sacrifices, they just do kind of whatever they want. Does the Lord really care? I mean, what's the big deal? What if we did drop the meat? Who cares? I mean, what's the big deal here? So familiarity, you know, these guys just go through the motions. They forget who and why they do what they do. They forget who they do it to and why they're doing it. Church, is that you? Is that us as Christians? Do we just kind of, oh, man, cool, we're going to go to church so I can feel good today. And, you know, it's my obligation. You know, the Lord will look down. He'll look favorably. Hey, really? If you think like that, maybe we, we could plug you in over to the children's ministry and you can start learning the real lessons and working your way back up into where you need to be so you can really understand what the Bible says. 
I mean, do we, do we really think that? Is that it's an obligated God? You know, it's like, yeah, he wants us to fellowship, but it's more than just the fellowship. He wants us to serve. You know, it goes back to a lot of times we get caught up into, oh, I want to serve people. I want to serve a ministry. I want to do that, and it's not. No, you don't. You can't. Your relationship, it needs to be you're serving the Lord, doing it to the Lord first and foremost. And then you can serve people in the right way. Then you can serve a ministry in the right way. And it just kind of unfolds at that angle and that level. It works from him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, first and foremost, serving him as to who he is. I mean, when was the last time you had a best friend die on a cross for you? Anybody? Raise your hand. Anyone? I don't see any hands going up. But we all should raise our hands and say, well, it was 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus Christ. We've all had that best friend. But what about the best friend in high school? Have you, anybody ever had one? Just, hey, dude, you know, you've been blowing it, and, and uh, somebody's going to try to kill you for it, but I'm going to go ahead and take the hit for you. Anybody ever have anyone do that? I mean, it's like, and, and, and who are we to just kind of, oh, well, I'm just not going to do my best anymore. It's like there's other people out there that are suffering, that are hurting. And so we, we tend to forget wh- why we do what we do. We just kind of start doing it. It becomes a, a emotion. Maybe it's emotional for us. It makes us feel good. And, and there's nothing wrong with feeling good, but make sure it's for the right reason. Make sure when you, when you finish serving and you're doing things to the Lord that you, when you sit back, you're like, oh, Lord, man, I, did, I gave you my best. I know my best isn't like way up there, but I gave you my very best. I did all that I could. Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Remembering who he is and what he has done for you and why you get to do what you do. Because, I mean, if it's just going through the motions, I'm sure there's some club out there. There's a club out there that will allow you to do the same thing. If you really love to serve people, work in a restaurant. You'll get some tips and make some money for it. But serving people in a bigger in a better way, saying, hey, man, you know what? The Lord loves you, and, and these gifts that we give to you, they're not from me. They're from God. He, he put that on my heart to bring these to you. Or maybe you just drop them off on a door, and you knock, and you run. A little note from God. That blows somebody's mind. See, maybe you grew up in church, and you heard all this before, and it really means nothing to you, or you're just going through the motions. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity should breed consideration because if you really hang out with God that much, then you should really consider what happens here at church, what happens in your daily lives, him working around you. What happens in the lives of these two supposed men of God is that worship becomes a farce here at this town called Shiloh. These guys were not close to the Lord. They didn't know God, but God knew their heart. And how tragic that these words would describe spiritual leaders of God's people. When we look at verse 12 again, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Remember that one verse? Depart from me for I... Who, who didn't know who in the, in the two verses? They didn't know God, but in the verse that we read in Matthew, depart from me because I never knew you. You ever ask yourself when you see that and you're like, how, how would Jesus know me? How would he know me? It doesn't say depart from me, those who you don't know me. It says because I don't know you. How would Jesus know who you are? How would I know you? How does anybody know anyone? You meet them. You introduce yourself. I made a new friend this week. How did I know him? I hung out with him. Asked some questions. Got to know where he stands. 
what he likes, what he doesn't like. Now, I don't know his favorite color yet, but hopefully I will one day. I don't really think I even know my wife's favorite color. Is it blue? Uh, no, it's not. I didn't even know her eye color on our, on, our, uh, on our, what was that party they gave us? Couple shower. They were like, what's her eye color? And I'm like, green? I never was that close to her face to look. Maybe I was, I don't know. But I didn't know her eye color. I didn't. I just, those things really, I'm not, you know, hey, that's who I am. I'm not that kind of touchy-feely. Oh, me and my eye. I know they're blue now. I still don't know her favorite color. I know who her favorite guy is. <laughs> Back to the subject. But how do, you, how do we know each other? We hang out. We talk. We, we have interaction. Do you have interaction with Jesus or is this it? We show up at a place where they talk about him. Oh, what if your marriage was like that? Wouldn't that be weird? I mean, you just show up at your house and, and let's say me and a bunch of my buddies come and we gather around in my living room and we're swapping stories and hanging out. And I'm like, oh, well, wait a minute. Let me tell you about my wife. And she's in a room. I got her in, 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 in a really big room. It's, a, it's just she decorated it however she wanted or I had somebody do it for her. Nice and fluffy. Her favorite colors are in there, blue or whatever it is. Pink, black, I don't know. Black is her favorite color. That's what it is. Anyway, um, and so I, I, we're, and we talk about her. And I talk about her, and I talk about how great my wife is and how awesome my wife is and all the great things that my wife does. And then, you know, I'm like, man, check out the song I wrote for my wife. And I sing, and you guys, my guy buddies, we all join in singing how wonderful and how great my wife is. And they're like, man, that's a cool song. I should write one for my wife like that. And then, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's go. And I leave her in that room and look at her and like, hey, you know, I'll be back next week. Talk about you some more and sing about you some more with my friends in a big room. Is that what we do at church? We just sing and talk about the one we're supposed to have a, a relationship with. And we leave from week to week and really never interact and never have an intimate conversation with. I mean, would we treat our wives and husbands that way? Hopefully not. And these two men, supposed men of God, they got this worship that is so weird. These guys were not close to the Lord. They didn't know God, but they, God knew their heart. He knew where they were. And it's a very tragic word to describe these leaders. So many Christians just go through motions or do their own thing, and these guys had a standard. They had to do it a certain way because in the book of Leviticus, we see that there's some outlines, and you see that we'll look at some of those. But like them and so many of us, we just kind of do things our own way and figure, oh, well, you know what? Here it is. And we do. There's a standard we're called to live up to as Christians. Every book in the Bible holds meaning for us, even in our modern times. In 1 Samuel, for example, Pastor Mark has been teaching us about the power and sovereignty of God. Our Creator does what He needs to in order to accomplish His tasks, regardless of our involvement. How much better would it be, though, if we did step into God's plan for His world? God wants to use each of us to do incredible things for the kingdom. All we need to do is be willing. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from 1 Samuel, and we'd like to encourage you to keep reading ahead. You'll learn a lot as you discover God for yourself. Another good place to hear and study the Word is in a church setting. Here's Tracy with a little more about what being in the body of Christ can mean for you. Joining a church is more than just showing up for a Sunday morning service. 
It's getting to know the people you're worshiping with. As the church body grows together in the love and teaching of God's Word, it will become a powerful and effective witness for Christ within its walls and beyond. If you're near Katy, Texas, we'd love to meet you Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Katy. Visit comealiveradio.com to find out more and get directions. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well to keep up with the latest editions of Come Alive. You can find it on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive.